The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, I'm Eric Savitz. I'm Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's. This is Tech Trader Live on, on Barron, Tech Trader on Barron's Live, a series of conversations with leaders and participants in the tech economy. And I am excited to have with me today Daniel Flax, who's a technology analyst with Newberger Berman. Um, this is a fantastic time to be talking about technology. And Dan, thanks for, uh, for being with us today. Great to be with you, Eric. Thank you. So we, we're in an, a fascinating moment in the in the tech uh, business, both in a, in a very short-term way, because we're right in the middle of the fourth quarter earnings uh, reporting season. We've gotten uh, some of the big names uh, over the last few days and over the last week or so. Microsoft has reported and Apple and IBM and Intel, and we still have ahead of us Facebook and Alphabet and Amazon and AMD and EA and a bunch of others. Uh, we're also at a moment in time when the when tech, of course, has been hugely volatile. It is the story of the the stock market of the last few years. We've gone from a period where tech really set the stage for the market, led the market higher over the last two years during the pandemic, and then, of course, over the last few months, it's been a little less fun um, to be a tech investor. Let's start by talking sort of fundamentally, Dan, about what's transpired here, what's changed in the outlook that's caused uh, from a, a period when it felt like tech, tech could go, uh, do no wrong, when you could do no wrong by investing in tech, to a period when uh, it's been much more difficult um, in the tech sector. I, I think concerns around inflation, uh, rising interest rates, uh, slowing growth, that, those, those are near-term concerns. Yeah. And, and let, let's of course all appreciate that the technology sector remains cyclical. But I, but I think what's going to matter more over the next one to two years, Eric, is that the secular trends, uh, key key growth in areas like the cloud, mobile, uh, this really this this build out of the digital infrastructure, that remains healthy, that remains vibrant, and what we've seen with companies uh, across all industries throughout this period is that technology has never been more important, and when they think about their futures the role technology has to play is going to be much, much bigger. And so one of, one of the, one of the, or part of the magic, if you will, about the technology space yeah. is that it's helping to reinvent all of these other industries. So a lot to like over the next few years, keeping in mind, of course, the cyclical headwinds or, or the cyclicality, and of course the headwinds from, from higher rates in the near term. Right. So in a sense, what you're saying is, if I if I would uh, be so bold as to rephrase a little, is that we're we're not dealing with issues of demand or uh, or some slowdown in the evolution of technology. We're really talking about, um, and in fact, the opportunity set just seems to get bigger. What we're talking about is what do you pay for it? Seems to be the question. And uh, as you point out, uh, what that becomes a tougher question as interest rates move a little higher. Right. I, I think that's fair. I, I think, though, if, if we look at some of the trends, let's use artificial intelligence or AI yeah. as one example. 
in many respects, it's very, very early. And so we've seen uh, artificial intelligence get employed by by some of the, the technology platforms like Google or Alphabet, uh, Amazon, in terms of the recommendation engines, natural language processing. When you type something in the search bar, it tries to finish, uh, uh, tries to infer what you want and finish it for you. So that's getting right. better and better. But if you think about where we're going with AI and all these other industries, uh, think about healthcare in terms of drug discovery, uh, think about financial services with fraud detection, uh, think about the automobile, all the all the transformation that will happen in the years and, and really the decade ahead. And so in many ways, a lot of this is just getting going. And that's one of the reasons we're so excited about the investment opportunities that we see. Right. Well, and one, one thing that occurs to me is as you look at the landscape of, uh, and particularly in the current environment, we've had some smaller stocks that have traded off very substantially, 30, 40, 50, in some cases, 70% off the peaks. But I have to say that like my instinct has been, as I've been covering this um, and trying to provide a little bit of advice in the column that I write, is that those opportunity sets uh, can be captured by a lot of the larger names where the risk profile seems a little bit lower to me. And so I wonder if, you, as you think about that, uh, and you, you know, if you, when you think about how investors might want to approach this, so if you think about, uh, so if, for example, with AI, there are lots of companies playing in AI in one, one way or another, but it seems like you can get some exposure to the trend uh, by picking large, well-established players as the way to bet on that uh, as, and where there might be a little bit less risk systemically. I, I'm curious how you think about the risk and return of you know, trying to pick out so, some more narrow play that maybe has more upside, but where the risk level is high versus trying to pick one of the mega tech players who have a lot of exposure to say AI, for example. If, if you look at some of, uh, some of the attributes that are important for companies across technology, and, and, and we'll, we'll drill down into AI, uh, it's really about the intellectual property. It's about their ecosystems. It's about some of the glue, some of the magic that's tougher to see. So for example, the developer communities. So if you take a company like NVIDIA as an example in, in the field of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. they, make, they make leading chips, but I think part of what isn't always fully appreciated is the software and the application frameworks. And, and there's a stickiness to that because NVIDIA is able to make uh, the, the developers' lives easier uh, with pre-trained models. That, that stickiness is very important as you think about them extending into new areas like the car, for, as an example. The, right. the key, though, is to continually push forward uh, your intellectual property, make yourself more valuable to, to customers. And so what we've seen with NVIDIA is it's transformed itself from just a gaming company into being a leader in the data center, that's opened up a wave of new growth potential uh, right. for the company. And it, it, that, that piece is relatively early in my view. And you know, NVIDIA is an interesting case, right? Because the stock had a fantastic move last year. I think it was up like 125% last year. Um, it's come down uh, fairly substantially off the peaks. Um, but nothing fundamentally has really changed in the NVIDIA story. In fact, uh, you know, so I was at CES. Um, a lot of what people were talking about uh, at CES a few weeks ago was AI and autonomous driving um, and uh, to certain and, and uh, you know, virtual reality and uh, augmented reality. And 
and NVIDIA is like a play on all of those things. And all of those things are just getting started. Um, so is this a chance to buy NVIDIA at a discount? I think NVIDIA is attractive at current levels. I think, and you touched on valuations before, one of the things that's notable with a company like NVIDIA is that they're investing very, very aggressively. Right. And so sure in the near term and in calendar 2022, there's, there's risks around deceleration. Supply as we know is difficult for all the companies, including, including NVIDIA. But if we look into 23, 24, 25, over the next few years, we think the growth and the earnings and the free cash flow generation is substantially higher. And to your point, in areas uh, like the metaverse, uh, like auto, we're going to see more and more innovation in the next few years. I think much of that will be a story for the second half of the decade, as mm -hmm. a lot of the key building blocks get uh, put into place in the, in the coming years. And then you're going to see, in addition to growth uh, in those markets, you're going to see new business models. And so there's a lot that's going to really get transformed, certainly in technology, as we're talking about, but all of these other industries too, which which certainly for for the likes of an Nvidia presents uh, a lot of interesting opportunities. So that raises raises raise sort of an interesting question about uh, investor time horizons, right? So we go we tend to get uh, sort of uh, sucked up in the daily um, uh, ebb and flow of, of sentiment and earnings news and you know, did they beat by a nickel and um, uh, and those kinds of things. And they do tend to have short-term big impact on stock, on stock prices. But I wonder, like, how do you think, like, you, it sounds like basically you're, you're trying to look beyond those short-term, uh, the short-term noise at the longer-term view. And like, would you, do you think, I mean, is, is that, that's, that is part of your philosophy on how you think about the, the, the sector, right? Is that, would that be fair? We certainly track all of the, the news and the data sure. flow uh, in the short term very carefully. But yeah. what we've found where we've been able to add value is to really have a differentiated view, a differentiated framework around the intellectual property, the value of it. Uh, right. What are they doing uh, in the case of an NVIDIA as we're talking about with their ecosystem from a developer standpoint? Those are things that are tougher to capture in the income statement uh, or the balance sheet. But what we found and what we think is that they're going to manifest themselves in a powerful way over the next two or three years. So if we're able to look past the noise and we're, we're, we're certainly respectful of the risks, uh, we see an opportunity for them to create value for their customers. And ultimately, that will translate, uh, in my view, to shareholder value uh, over the next few years. So you know, I know in, in as we were preparing for this uh, for this chat, another company that uh, has some similar characteristics uh, that we've talked we talked about be, uh, in in the chip sector is Qualcomm, and you know Qualcomm has uh, they're they they obviously have a different model than than Nvidia does. They come from a mobile phone uh, history, not from a graphics chip in history. But what's interesting is that. Like NVIDIA, they are playing on some of these very large trends. Talk a little bit about how you think about Qualcomm um, and, and why you find them appealing as well. I think Qualcomm ha has a very interesting multi-year growth opportunity, Eric. That is a lot broader than people think. And, and it, it starts with their intellectual property and, right. and it's in mobility, but, but there's a lot more than just our cell phones. Uh, right. If you think about the Internet of Things, really this notion 
of creating uh, uh, or, or infusing um, connectivity and software and IP into devices, small devices or big devices like like a tractor in in a field. Right. And so thinking about the opportunities uh, uh, further afield, as it were, in the edge or all mm -hmm. of these use cases, all of that's going to get connected up. And so the implications of connecting everything is that you can have better information and make uh, more informed decisions uh, in real time. And so Qualcomm really sits at the heart of a lot of it. You then take a company where you have a, uh, a new CEO, Cristiano Amon, who's a, who's a very thoughtful, I think a strong leader who's really focused on continuing to diversify this company. Uh, you look at the depths of their management team, uh, their CFO, a, a lot of the key leaders, they're very, very strong. And what's interesting is that opportunities like the internet of things, like the automobile industry, those are early. And I think Qualcomm is very well positioned. So what strikes me is that the durability of this growth uh, and ultimately the, the earnings and the free cash flow are probably uh, better than I think the market expects. Yeah, you know, the, the Internet of Things is an interesting case study, right? Because we've been talking about the Internet of Things for a pretty long time now. And, you know, the early, there was a lot of early discussion about things like, um, you could say, put sensors in shipping containers and track them and those kinds of things. And um, and it's been a little slow to evolve to the sort of uh, the, the, the opportunity that I think people originally thought. And, and yet it reminds me of this sort of old sort of, uh, you know, saying about technology that it tends to, you know, if it underperforms in the short term and then outperforms in the long run. And it feels like that in particular here, I, I think, and I think Christiana would say this, that the, the emergence of 5G as a widespread networking technology um, makes this a lot more practical. And, and, and when you add in sort of a, uh, you know, this sort of a growing uh, edge computing capability that suddenly this is a really big thing. And, and it, it, it just feels like a pattern that we repeat all the time in technology. And it, it, it finally is starting to show up in, in IoT. I, I think that's correct. I think the 5G opportunity, which, which Qualcomm clearly has, has uh, been playing an important role and has an even more important role to play uh, over the next several years and 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 frankly for you know for 6g uh one one of the hallmarks of this company is that they invest uh significantly and aggressively long before technology right. gets commercialized so 5g right now is a focus and and i think many people are aware of it on a consumer basis um and clearly in many places uh the networks are really still to be rolled out uh at scale but right. what's notable for for us as consumers yes you will be able to uh download movies faster and have a richer experience. If you think about as we go into uh, a, a world where hopefully they're more in-person events, uh, the ability to use augmented reality in, in a, or virtual reality in the stadium, either being in there or to get in effect transported there, that's incredibly powerful. If you think about a, a manufacturing site, a warehouse, the ability to connect everything up in a secure way, um, that Qualcomm has a tremendous amount of uh, intellectual property and, and differentiation in their solutions there. And it's this, this other piece around the industrial landscape. In, in my view, Eric, that is one of the biggest transformations that's going to take place over the next five to 10 years and beyond. And so that, that is, is a significant opportunity for those who can provide the, um, really the differentiation for, 
for the the tractor companies or the automobile companies right. and all of those. Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, what one of the things I saw at CES was uh, John Deere of all companies, not a company you necessarily associate with the consumer electronics industry, uh, was demonstrating a uh, an autonomously driven tractor. Um, and uh, it was it's, it was kind of remarkable to see. Actually, it's a huge vehicle, and uh, you step into the cockpit of the John the giant John Deere tractor, and you realize there's more technology in that tractor than in uh, than the average consumer uh, you know car or 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 truck. And uh, it it's becoming uh, pervasive that kind of technology, but it's also early, uh, which is what makes it so exciting. I, I think that's right, and so. While there's a lot of focus on, on autonomous vehicles, as an example, for, for consumers uh, in cities, we're already seeing in agriculture is a terrific example of, of the technology, the autonomy really revolutionizing uh, how, in the case of a farm, is operated, right? If you're right. able to control your tractor uh, through a smartphone app, have it uh, drive efficiency uh, in your farm, uh, in, improve yields, uh, that has enormous ramifications. And of course, as we touched on earlier, the business model implications, because you're going to be able to generate new revenue streams uh, in a way that you couldn't before. And those, in many cases, are going to be repeatable, uh, right. which, which is, I think, we all appreciate is, is, is powerful. So I want to um, switch gears a little bit and talk for a bit about uh, the tech mega caps, right? So you've got, uh, you can call them fangs or Netflix isn't quite big enough to be a trillion dollar business yet. But uh, but if you talk about these very large companies, Microsoft and Apple, Amazon and um, and um, and and Facebook and Alphabet, um, how do you feel about the large cap uh, tech names? Uh, would you be a buyer uh, here? And if so, which ones do you like the best? We are buyers uh, of, of uh, some of the names. What stands out to me, Eric, is is Apple here, it's Alphabet, it's Amazon, and it's Microsoft. And and the, the hallmark of these companies is their ability to innovate, uh, invent, reinvent, cannibalize their own businesses. And I think what is sometimes underappreciated is, is that they spend tens of billions of dollars a year in R&D and CapEx. Right. So these companies aren't afraid uh, of, of investing, of failing. One of the hallmarks of them, I think, is their ability to fail quickly in certain respects, uh, right. harness the lessons from that and move forward. So, so if we look, for example, at Apple, um, this company, we think about the iPod nearly two decades ago, it's continued to reinvent itself. And, and sure, the iPhone gets a lot of attention. And I think the durability of that franchise is notable. But think about services, uh, think about wearables with the AirPods or the watch, really their ability to expand and play a role, uh, for example, in healthcare and fitness. Uh, that, that's an, an important part of, of users' lives, and there's a lot of value to be added there. Uh, if, I, if I shift to Alphabet, I think what we've seen, and, and sure, that there's concerns about slowing growth this year, uh, right. but, but the durability, the, the growth of search as they continue to redefine what you can expect is 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 notable i think the youtube platform and how that's transforming how people uh how people uh, look at content how they create content uh their ability to empower others to build on their platform i, I think that is something uh 
in many respects, YouTube's been around for a while, but they're just getting going. And I'll, I'll round right. out Google with their Google Cloud platform. When we speak to enterprise customers, they see a lot of value in key areas uh, like analytics and, and artificial intelligence. If I, if I touch on Amazon, which right now, people are very focused on the slowdown in e-commerce and, and they have difficult compares over the next few quarters. What, what has struck me throughout this pandemic is that they are investing very, very aggressively and their obsession with delivering great value to their customers is, 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 uh, could, couldn't be stronger. And so sure, e-commerce will be slower in the next several months, but looking into 23 and 24, I think it's very healthy. Uh, the Amazon Web Services business, I think, has very attractive growth prospects. When we speak to customers, uh, they, they get a lot of value. And I'll round it out with advertising, which is, I think, an underappreciated opportunity um, uh, for Amazon. And finally, just to hit on Microsoft, uh, again, a story of reinvention. They've done a terrific job with, with Azure and their cloud platforms. And so a lot to like there as well. Yeah, you know, it was it was fascinating watching the way the market behaved uh, around uh, Microsoft's earnings uh, a week ago, uh, when initially the reaction was a little bit, uh, they traded down a little bit after hours, there was a little bit of concern about cloud growth, like Azure like only was up 46% in the quarter. Um, and then, of course, on the call, um, uh, they basically said that Azure growth was going to accelerate in the March quarter which just seems like a, a pretty good sign for AWS and, and, and GCP as well, that, that, that the demand here just seems uh, huge. And it's sort of interesting that it's, it's, if it's, it's almost hard to say this, but in some ways it feels like the opportunity for these three large cloud businesses is almost, almost underestimated uh, because it's, they're sort of semi-hidden uh, behind other things that are going on in those businesses. And in, in Amazon's case, um, you know, AWS would be a trillion dollar valued business if it was an independent uh, company. And I suspect we're going to see good numbers there as well. I, let's talk a little bit more though about the advertising piece because the, you know, they're, they're the, the, the sort of, I guess the conventional wisdom has been that, you know, this is sort of a duopoly and, you know, Facebook and, um, uh, and Alphabet control the online advertising market, uh, but this is a growing part of Amazon's business. This is a multi-billion-dollar opportunity for them, but I'm not sure people totally understand it, right? Because it's it's not search advertising, it's not social media, it's advertising around their own platform. Talk a little bit about how you see it unfolding. I think it's a very interesting part of the story because if if you're trying to sell something on Amazon and you're able to reach customers uh, through, through an effective advertisement, uh, that's powerful because that can drive more sales. I think uh, to, to your point uh, on the, the size of, of Alphabet and Facebook, sure, they're, they're large uh, and, and vibrant platforms, but these markets are growing, they're expanding. And what we've seen and what's interesting when you talk to, to, to advertisers, those who are trying to, to get their products or services uh, recognized, the, the the platforms Amazon in in this case they found new ways to be able to to reach and and target consumers and of course uh, when when we all go on to Amazon we're, we're normally looking to buy something or we're browsing and so being able to integrate uh, an an effective ad I think can can benefit uh, certainly advertisers uh, certainly Amazon but most importantly uh, the customer in, in helping to to un uncover 
what it is that might be important uh, to them or, or a member of their family. Right. And, and of course, the other element that's interesting uh, here is that, um, uh, you know, it does not, it's not dependent. It's not, uh, it's not hampered by Apple changing the rules uh, around advertising on iOS, right? Where, if, uh, you know, the issue is, uh, can you discover consumer intent? Well, if you're on Amazon and you search for, um, you know, laptops, uh, there's a pretty good chance that you you want a laptop. So like there's a, there there's an, and, and so now you'll get served some ads uh, about laptops uh, and, or you'll, or you'll get paid listings at the top of the page. And so it's, it's, it seems like a, you know, a, a fantastically fertile opportunity um, from that standpoint um, as well, because you understand what consumers are wanting. I want to, I, I want to, while we're talking about advertising, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Facebook, which I, I feel like is in many ways the most controversial of these large cap names right now. And for a couple of reasons, one of course is they remain under regulatory pressure. And uh, well, I can think of maybe three things that, to, to, that we should t- touch on. One is the regulatory issue. And we don't really know what's going to happen there. What we know is there's a lot of noise, multiple forums, legislation, litigation, uh, regulation um, on these platforms. Second of one, of course, is they are really being impacted by Apple's changing um, ad um, policy on iOS. Um, and then the third one is, you know, Facebook isn't Facebook anymore. Uh, I need to call them, they're, they're actually now meta platforms, right? Um, and they've make, they're making a gigantic bet on the metaverse. Um, now, I, I think there's sort of an interesting question about what that actually is. Arguably, we're having this conversation in the metaverse right now, right? So, uh, you know, we're online, we're in a sort of virtual room, uh, with virtual viewers, all of that stuff. So how do you feel about Facebook here? Um, I, I think, by the way, there's another argument which basically says the stock is sort of cheap at this point uh, relative to some of the other large cap players. So what's your take on Facebook or Meta? I should say Meta. I have to make my <laughs> I, I think they have an uh, attractive growth prospects over the next one to two years, and they they remain remain very very important for advertisers. Uh, and, and I'll I'll highlight in particular uh, small and medium businesses who who can use the platform to reach um, customers or potential customers. I think in terms of regulation, it's a very important issue for all the the technology platforms, not just Facebook. I I think all of them really need to raise the level of transparency around their businesses and business models. I think a lot of us find tremendous value uh, from from Google or Facebook, um, but but many people don't fully appreciate how the data is necessarily used. And and certainly what we've seen is that the companies are engaging more uh, with governments and regulators, but but in my view, uh, even more needs to be done and, and it, it really, it's, it's about the transparency. There, there's no, there's no uh, silver bullet to solve some of the, the challenges. And of course, every society, every country may, may view some of these issues around data and privacy uh, a little bit differently. But I think what's key is that the companies, Facebook or Google, uh, as examples, are, are really need to raise that level of, of transparency. If, if they do, uh, it's going to then, uh, of course, uh, be, uh, uh, be necess- these, these companies still need to innovate. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that, that is the key thing. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on uh, Metaverse in a moment. But specifically with, with uh, I- iOS changes and, and IDFA and the impact on Facebook and others uh, by the changes uh, that have been made, 
I, I expect Facebook to make progress in terms of measure measurement and targeting, mm -hmm. um, and 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 improve the tools. I, I think that's something that they've been investing aggressively on. I do expect them to add value to advertisers. The key, in my view, over the next couple of years, will be: is the platform, is Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Messenger, WhatsApp, uh, do they continue to to really? Uh, have innovative experiences? Can they do more in social commerce as an example? And then if we think about the metaverse and, and really the potential uh, paradigm shift, this is really over the next decade and beyond to, to a new or, or an additional way of using or engaging with technology, really having a digital overlay in some cases, uh, uh, a, a complete digital experience if it's, uh, if it's virtual as opposed to just augmented reality. I right. think there's a lot there. I think the competition there is, of course, fierce. What, what's going to be important in my mind is many of the same attributes for the smartphone. And, and to be clear, I think the smartphone market, while mature, uh, it's certainly an important market. Uh, and and they're going to be pockets of growth. We're seeing some of that with 5G now. Right. But with Metaverse and, and or Facebook in, in, in their quest uh, to, to, to pivot the company, they need to, to design products come up with services potentially shift the business model in places to really define a user experience that is valuable uh that is sticky and ultimately translates into revenue and eventually uh free cash flow growth yeah i have to wonder on the metaverse uh and you know it it's it's hard to talk about it in a certain way because we we're not entirely sure what we're talking about right is it a uh, you know, there's the the Oculus uh, Quest version of the metaverse where you're wearing a, uh, you know, a, a, a headset and you're in a sort of virtual environment. There are, there are augmented reality applications where you're wearing, say, a pair of glasses and maybe there's telemetry data or, uh, you know, maps as you're walking around or whatever or other kind of information in front of you, like a heads up display for a pilot. And there are other experiences uh uh, you know, I've written about Zwift, the video, the, the, the cycling world, uh, uh, which I, uh, I'm a, an avid user of and which, uh, which doesn't involve any sort of headsets uh, and still is a sort of virtual environment. Arguably, what we're talking about is, uh, is simply a more, in, uh, more immersive form of Internet activity. But it, it makes me wonder whether the best play here is to try and rather than pick a winner is is to think about well what ingredients might be required here and um the ingredients are going to require you know it's going to live in the cloud there's going to be need for servers you're going to need chips to run the compute like i i wonder if it's like if, if you really do believe in the metaverse do you buy facebook or do you buy you know, like NVIDIA and Qualcomm and, and then Amazon, right? So I, I, how do you think about the opportunity and who is, who, it's, it's pretty early to pick the winners here, I guess. But if you think about trying to have a basket of plays, how would you, how would you approach it? I think they're going to be a, a, a few different uh, metaverses uh, right. and, and part of what we'll have to figure out, and this could be in the decade that follows is how, how they all all connect, but I think one of one of the key themes as we look at all of the different companies is who is going to define the user experience 
Uh, who's going to delight users? Who's going to be yeah. able to differentiate it? I think all of us appreciate that areas like gaming is one example. Uh, the, the future is, is bright in the metaverse and gaming uh, remains a very vibrant uh, industry. Yeah. Uh, as we think about other areas like healthcare, um, how are you able to incorporate uh, elements in the metaverse to, to, uh, to do remote surgery, uh, perhaps, as one example? But, but I think that it, in most scenarios, the companies that provide um, key in intellectual property, Qualcomm is an example uh, in terms of uh, the ability uh, uh, for connectivity, um, for right. security of these devices. Uh, in the data center, if you think about the importance of NVIDIA's solutions um, to be able to process enormous amounts of, of data, make recommendations, have a uh, lifelike experience. Uh, their their um, roots or their heritage in gaming, as an example, serves them very, very well. Yeah. And so if you look in, in the automobile industry as one example, a lot of what you've seen is that um, the, the car companies and, and are, are, are working out uh, you know, what, their, what their future cars look like and of course the business models. But what we've seen, and I think it'll be something similar in the metaverse is that the suppliers uh, in this case, uh, an NVIDIA or a Qualcomm in the metaverse uh, are, are going to be able to to flourish, in my view, in, in, in a variety of different scenarios. But but it'll take some time. Yeah. Qualcomm uh, at CES talked about this concept of a digital chassis um, uh, for for uh, for the automotive industry. And what they meant was, you know, it, it, there's actually multiple elements here for the uh, that, that go beyond uh, sort of, uh, you know, Qualcomm has long been a player in, say, like uh, in-cabin entertainment systems, for example. But they they imagine a world where uh, not just autonomous or, you know, assisted driving, you know, ADAS or those kinds of things, but a complete rethink of the experience inside the car, uh, completely digitally driven. Um, and and it's so it, it's, it's there's another element to this. And we're running out of time, but I, I'm just going to touch on briefly, which is like when you think about, uh, think about some of these opportunities, like particularly in uh, autonomous driving um, or, or even in EVs, the, a lot of the discussion is around like, well, which car, like how, you know, how's Tesla going to do versus like the, you know, the legacy, you know, GMs and Fords of the world. And then there are other, of course, new emerging players. Um, but the providers of the underlying infrastructure technology, the semiconductors and the software platforms, um, I wonder if that's actually a better way. It's a little bit of the sort of picks and shovels uh, approach to trying to pick winners here. Um, do you do you think about it that way, or would you? You know, how do you feel about the EV companies? Let's we'll wrap up on that topic. I think it. I think playing through the suppliers, which really have a lot of the foundational intellectual property that that's going to be. Uh, relevant uh, in the cars of the future. And, and I, in fact, Eric, I would broaden it a little bit, uh, talk about you know robots or drones or, or all right. sorts of other vehicles um, that may not be uh, cars that, that are aimed at consumers. Trucking, of course, is another uh, important example. And right. so those companies, in addition to being able to provide the solutions that help those, those uh, end, uh, end manufacturers differentiate, there's also a business model opportunity because, for example, in a car, if you're able to turn on um, new features and the car company is able to uh, charge customers because customers derive value from it, there are revenue opportunities for the suppliers of, of those solutions underneath. 
uh, a Qualcomm or an NVIDIA in that example. So I do think, uh, be it in the metaverse, be it in the, in the automobile world, be it in the world of robots and all sorts of autonomous uh, vehicles or systems, th there's a very long runway uh, for, for the companies that can provide the differentiated intellectual property. Right. And that, there's a long history of that, right? If you think about uh, uh, the history of the PC industry, for example, if you think about the early days of the PC industry, uh, people forget, but there were dozens of PC manufacturers. Now there's a handful, um, but it's Microsoft and Intel that uh, reaped the, the lion's share of the benefit here. Um, obviously, Dell's a great company and HP, but like there, there are many others that didn't make it, but it continued to be you know, in a sense, the platform underneath. Uh, we don't talk, people used to, of course, use the, the term Wintel to talk about the PC industry. We don't really do that anymore so much, but um, but it is a telling uh, kind of historical case study of how this could, uh, how this could play out. I, I think that's right. And, but I think in the case of Microsoft and Intel, in that example, it's, it's driven by the aggressive investments those companies have made over decades. Right the innovation. Right. So they weren't standing still and it was their ability to empower others, uh, their customers, and ultimately the, the end users um, to, to really provide a level of differentiation in the PC. Now, of course, the smartphone uh, in the metaverse that lies ahead and, and in these autonomous systems, it's, it's that innovation that, that uh, stands out in, in my view and the ability to invest, to make mistakes, but to, to, to pick, pick oneself up and keep going. Yeah, it is interesting. I'll, I'll, one other final note here on that topic is, um, you know, of course, there's a lot of anticipation that we're going to see some sort of uh, Apple launch in this uh, this area later this year. Uh, possibly it could be into into next year, but there's a lot of smoke here, right? Um, uh, and uh, we'll see. There was an interesting survey. Um, uh, that that I saw that of consumers that basically said the company that people would most like to buy a uh, a virtual reality uh, or or AR uh, headset from was Apple, which of course doesn't make one yet. Um, so there is a real opportunity for them if they can execute, um, and I guess we'll see soon enough. I think that's right, but we we've also seen from their history that they're more focused, and I think it's the right strategy to get the product right and change the paradigm. Part of the power of the iPhone was the app store and really right. changing, changing how people thought about it, how they consumed, how they got value. And, and at the end of the day, Apple is about delivering value to customers in a fun, easy and secure way. And if they can do that in the metaverse, uh, there's probably a lot, lot of value for customers uh, and ultimately shareholders over time. We'll see what happens. And uh, we are over time. I want to thank you, Daniel, for being with us today. This was a great conversation. We could, uh, there's so much to talk about. We could keep going. Um, thank you to our viewers for being with us today as well. Uh, please join us tomorrow uh, for another uh, Barron's Live. We'll have uh, MarketWatch uh, economics reporter, uh, Jeffrey Bartash. We'll be talking to a former uh, Fed uh, banker named Thomas Hainig about the Fed's mistakes and what it can do to fix the inflation problem. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Please stay safe and see you next time. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.